Kids love log. Tis the podcast log. Yes, log. Of the Star Wars Collector's Archive log. Yes, log. Whenever the Star Wars Collector's Archive publishes a new blog, this podcast will log its contents, interview its writers, and go deeper. It's the Kivecast Blog Log Pod. You, sir, are a mouthful. Relax and just take life easy for a little while. Because it's only last for a little while. All right, Steve. Sure. Okay, Steve, we don't do any funny... Any funny intros on the blog blog log pod? Which blog log no. pod is this? That's the, I think the only thing we can kind of keep track of. That's it's number eighteen. Number so, eighteen. So the 18th yeah. time that we've tried to catalog what's going on in the amazing blog. And yes, uh, I, yeah. I used to intentionally not read the blog logs like before <laughs> doing the pod, but that actually was a mistake. <laughs> and so just about twenty minutes ago, I was like, I'm just gonna quickly read whatever Ron and Yehuda, uh, you know, whipped up for us. And like, after like 18 and a half minutes, I was like a quarter of the way through. So I, I did yeah, you, read it. You looked up and saw the, the scroll bar was still the tiny dot way up at the top, right? Yes, that's exactly what happened. But fortunately, the entire thing was fascinating. I did manage to finish it. And I can't wait yeah. to talk with them about it and synthesize it a little yeah. bit and make it a little bit more interactive for those of you who aren't going to read it. Because it is yeah. the definitive information about those little weird metal figures that you don't know the name of and you think you know the name of. And, and you think you know anything about them, but you actually don't know anything. So let's learn everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the definitive work on something I knew next to nothing about, which I think <laughs> is, is the, 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 the mantra of, of the blog and, and our podcast to an extent. <laughs> Yes. All right. So okay. let's bring on yeah. uh, Ari Ron Ron Salvatore and Yehuda. Okay. So it's dialing now, Steve. I did start recording because Ron usually says something funny right off the bat. He does. Hello. Hello. Ron hey. and Yehuda. We have them both. <laughs> awesome. Well, well we, we can tell that you guys are excited to talk all about these heritage miniatures, Ron. I cannot wait for you to just set the story straight about heritage. Anyways, that was all the time we had. So thank you so much for talking about heritage uh, miniatures, Ron. Yeah, I'm glad uh, glad that was your takeaway from the article. Yeah, I just got through the first part. It said something, something, something heritage, and then I just moved on. TLDR, TLDR. <laughs> No, no. Well, well, I'm, I'm, I'm being, I'm being cruel on, on this because what Ron really does is this article. Steve, do you have the same problem I do, where you don't want to be the cliff notes because you want people to actually read Moby Dick? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, Did you just it's call a... me a dick? <laughs> actually, I mean the, I really should call this Don Quixote because that that is the metaphor that that you draw up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, in which case, uh, Ron, which one are you? Are you Don Quixote or Sancho Panza? Oh, I think we both combine elements of uh, both characters, Yehuda and I. What, what do you think, Yehuda? I think Sancho Panza more so. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but you, you, like, definitely you have that, that spirit, the, 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 the good companion and all that, and Ron has the, the wild-eyed insanity for trying yeah, to yeah. say everything about these 
archive miniatures. Uh, it is a pretty insane article. Um, yeah. But it kind of needed to be written. And Yehuda kept bothering me, that, reminding me over the years that we had to put all our information together and do the article. So uh, it, it's a thank you to Yehuda for staying on my case about it. Well, it's really been fun. It's been a fun journey. And we just we keep rediscovering these little bits and reminding ourselves to put them down before we forget the, the details. And uh, as, as it sort of worked its way out over the years, it ended up making a full narrative that made sense. And so it was time to get it out. Yeah, I mean, making sense of the, the narrative was the big thing, and I, I guess that's the metaphor applied of the, you know, the uh, Don Quixote uh, metaphor applies to the article itself as well as the adventure of Yehuda and I kind of going through this stuff over a period of several years. <laughs> well, well, I think, you know, I, I sometimes try to come up with a different structure than, than your articles, but it doesn't make sense because you already structured it pretty well. So I think we can follow the structure of your article. I started yeah. off with, with the joke of calling these things – so just just to make it clear, Steve, because we haven't really described what these things are. So if no, you've never yet. seen them, they're these little about what, like maybe one inch tall metal yes, sort of. like metal figures, very early era Star Wars, and as we'll see, you know, these include things like the spy with the you know, the uncircumcised schlong as a nose and the the cantina band, yeah, and, yeah, and you know, Aunt Peru. In addition, yes, Aunt Peru. In addition to Chewbacca and, and Darth Vader and the B-wing pilot, actually, no, yeah. So, and just to clarify, that collectors who have some knowledge are probably immediately thinking of the Star Trek galore set, which was based on these, which of course is a later part of the article. But the original figures that this this guy made, Neville Stockin, were. Um, like you just mentioned, that there was a, a whole range of figures that never got created even later on. So it, it was a pretty unique little set there. Well, so, then, yeah. So the, the, the complication that you start off with is the fact that they are called heritage miniatures by a lot of people. Like that's what they call them. So what, why do they call them heritage miniatures, Ron? Um, well... I think because at some point someone made a mistake. Uh, there was a company named Heritage that did gaming miniatures that was a popular... Uh, they were one of the first gaming miniatures company to do licenses. So they did Lord of the Rings, and, and they also did Star Trek, which I think led to confusion. Since they were a company known for making licensed miniatures, someone at some point misattributed these figures to Heritage. Um, that got picked up by the first Star Wars slash Star Trek... Um, price guide that was published in the 80s where they listed them as heritage figures um, and that kind of led to this error cascade where people called them heritage for years and at some point when I first got my set even though I knew they were sold by this outfit called Star Trek Galore, this is the later figures um, that, that were copied off the original ones uh, someone had told me oh they were sold by Star Trek Galore but they're actually heritage and that's what went on the Star Wars Collector's Archive you know in the 90s and since then, everyone's been calling them Heritage figures. But Heritage, they're alleged to have tried to get a Star Wars license, but they never made Star Wars figures. Although, as Yehuda and I figured out the other night, they did do, <laughs> yeah, they did do a couple of figures that were sort of like you know adjacent to Star Wars, like well, there's one that resembles Vader. But they never really did a Star Wars line. Okay. Um, 
So none of these figures, the original ones that were made by Neville Stockin or the later ones that were sold through Star Trek Galore had anything to do with Heritage. Now, I, I did a little bit of research yeah, we, on, on Heritage. And Herit See, I always assumed that these things were British. Why did I assume they were? Is it because uh, that company that made the, like, the bracelets and stuff was British? Like, why, or, or is it just that I, I associate like miniatures with England? Is, this, is there some reason I think of these as British? Uh, the only connection I, I can think of to them being British is they were imported to the UK early on, even in 77. And they were sold through stores directly in the UK. Um, there, there may even be uh, figures that we haven't found yet with specific UK labels, which I'm looking for. But uh, other than that, no, I think that's just something probably that you came up with on your own. Okay. I don't <laughs> think that's well known. Okay, so, so are, Heritage was, was out British, of Texas. Um, toy soldier figures. I don't know if you confused yeah, me at that, that point. Right. I, I could see that. Yeah, the, those little, like revolutionary we're not you know okay we'll, we'll european just, war figures yeah we'll just drop this english thing and, and maybe some british person can tell us why do i why do i think these companies were british um, but i do think it's interesting that heritage was out of texas but but the the company that originally made these little tiny figures and if you've seen them you you've probably seen them unpainted just kind of metal and like they're always they're all a little bit strange like the chewbacca is a little bit weird and a little bit chunky and he's got two guns and all that so those were made originally by a company named Archive, by a guy named Neil Stockin, and that's out of Berlin Game, California. Is that correct? Almost. Yeah. Uh, Neville Stockin. And okay. yes, out of Berlin Game. And if you want to think about these toys to, to talk about them visually on an on a audio podcast, just think of them as D&D game pieces, which is what yeah. they were really created for. And they're, they're these 25-millimeter scale pewter-type figures. And Neville was unique as an artist where he was making them more detailed than the other companies. He was one of the first companies out there. Heritage, uh, rather, Archive is one of the earliest companies. And he was making them heavier and more detailed and with whimsy and, and uh, satire in them. So they were very interesting and very popular from the, from the get-go. Um, and he created a whole line initially that he tried to get licensed which is the, uh, the initiation of these figures out, out into the collector's field, they were originally put out there for gamers and uh, yeah. for people early in the D&D world. So who, who was playing these games? Like, like there, was there a game that went along with these miniatures? Or maybe I'm just, I'm not a D&D guy. I've never... Oh. Yeah, sure. I mean, D&D really started in 1974, I believe, when, when the first uh, Dungeon Dragon books came out. And they were looking for different types of uh, adventures and different types of characters to bring into these essentially games that were mostly cerebral and in the mind. And uh, they, they have characters from cinema, including Frankenstein's monster and, and Dracula, and they had hobbits and they had Star Trek characters. And when Star Wars came on the scene, they were trying to make new tales and new games for people. And it was really a burgeoning, growing uh, geek field. And uh, so Star Wars fit right into it and became a new chapter and the characters were just being built for new games that would go out there. There was a game out there that was space-related um, that was actually in the Star Rovers game that was then later converted into Star Wars in 77 when the movie came out. So there were already science fiction elements in, in gaming before Star Wars was out there. Okay, so we're... Um, we're to answer we're, your question, yes. there wasn't out a Star Wars licensed role-play game. 
So okay, I mean, but the nature of role play is that you could someone could make up a Star Wars game and they could want figures to help them play this game, and so I think that would have been something that was attractive. But I also suspect that a lot of people buying these things were just like, oh, cool. Like I want to buy these cool Star Wars figures because I like Star Wars, right? So, but well, they were certainly the, pitched to a gaming audience. Yeah, and the the timing of them too is crazy because Neville was already making these. What was it like two months after the movie had come out? So there were there were no Star Wars figures around. Uh, he was creating these pretty right. much right after, right as the movie was taking off, which right. Is, well, he first sold them, according to, he actually told me this on a Facebook chat, that the free first first venue that he sold them at was the Origins Con in 77, which is in July, right? So that's, yeah, two months after Star Wars came out. So he would have had to sculpt these things and, and put them out in, in a pretty short period of time. So as far as the, you say in the article that it may be the first Star Wars toys ever made, I'm curious because is what is the closest thing to that maybe the Arco figures the 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 Star uh, what is it, Star Lords <laughs> whatever it is. Well, I mean those are not Star Wars. Figures. I mean these are explicitly Star Wars, right? They're not like a knockoff. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I mean as Yehuda and I have found, other gaming companies in the '70s were making miniatures, so there may have been some other you know gaming miniatures based on star wars explicitly but certainly two months after the movie came out like there just wasn't any other star yeah. wars figures around so yeah so how, how do they sculpt these do we know yeah do you want me to or i think oh. according to what he told the, the the blog um dear tony blair i mean i'm pretty sure they were done in clay he said he something about his sculpting knives and clay um, and I don't know more detail beyond that, but I'm sure he did them on one-to-one scale, um, and then made molds of them. And I think they're, they're produced in a spin casting process. Like, have you ever seen the molds for the medallions that Christian Gullius had made for Star Wars Celebration years ago? Oh, yeah. Where they're on like a round thing and it, 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 centrifugal force is used to push the material out to the side. So he would have had to make a mold master and then make a bunch of figures around the edge and then the lead gets spun out into the the cavities and he um, was he was making these just in his garage he had a company already going at that time i mean he was making other gaming pieces so i, I think he just turned it into a star wars factory after that uh, i i yeah i mean he, he had a based on the newspaper article referenced in that um in the in the blog post, yeah, he by the seventies he was making a lot. I don't know if he had a a shop, but he it sounded like he was doing them out of his home, and then he was selling them to local hobby shops. Uh, so yeah, I mean you could do it in your basement, you know, provided you have like a workbench or whatever, sit there and make these things. Yeah, obviously, Ron, I couldn't even get past that. So I tried to read this article in half an hour, and I didn't quite make it all the way through because it's so dense, but mainly because I got stuck on this damn newspaper thing that you included, which has a headline, Priest Passes Bar Exam, which sounds like the setup to a bad joke. Then there's a chicken barbecue at the Ruserville Ruritan, and I looked it up, and it's still in existence. I don't know what a Ruritan is, but if you go to Ruserville, you can still have a chicken barbecue dinner there. And then there's Ride Free at, at Hershey Park, which of course means you have to take the Hershey Highway to get there. The whole thing is just, 
it's just an amazing uh, 70s <laughs> document, Ron. Thank you so much for always including all this other stuff so I can think about that as opposed well, to... Well, I, uh, I knew know, that or, that, or that article... Or Bridge or whatever his name is. Um, I knew that <laughs> Neil, article had Neil. to exist um, because I had found that file photo, the newspaper file photo, a couple of years ago, right? Oh, and that's so, so I knew cool. that there had to be... What's that? So you found a file photo of Nigel Stockton and then you... <laughs> And then you paired it with, with the newspaper. Yeah, so I knew there had to be an AP article out there, so I signed up for a newspaper archive service and just started searching, and I found several examples of the AP article that used that photo, which wow. gave some good background information on Neville. Um, and it also yielded, the, which is my favorite thing, which is what really, like, I had to write the article after finding this, was, like, I found that San Rafael newspaper that's the little yes. item where he's basically writing to a guy who writes his local gossip column and trying to get in touch with George Lucas so he could get a license <laughs> to make Star Wars figures. I was like, oh man, I can't believe I found this thing. So that was so, really awesome. So that's a letter from Stockin to George Lucas through an intermediary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't get Lucas only reply to him, so he sounds like he called up this guy who wrote the Overlook column in the local San Rafael paper and was like, hey, do you know how to get in touch with George Lucas? And the guy was like, uh, no, but I'll, I'll do you a favor and I'll post this item in my column and maybe they'll reach out to you. Um, and obviously, they probably never did, but it just shows all the trouble he went to trying to get Lucas some that probably That probably put them on their radar. That's probably what started the lawsuit. Right. <laughs> uh, could have been, yeah. Although I think um, that article, that, which actually Yehuda found, the uh, there's a graphic feature in the Dread magazine in um, September of 77, which is a month before. That might have tipped them off. Like, uh, I, I wouldn't be, if that's a pretty national magazine, like, I wouldn't be surprised once those figures ran in that magazine if he got a cease and desist, and then that caused him to try to reach out to try to get. Uh, a license, um, because once they're in that magazine, I mean, people would have been pretty aware. Uh, but it's hard to know the exact timeline without really getting him to talk about it. it yeah. it's, it's so quaint and so cute to think of somebody bootlegging Star Wars toys in their basement being like, could Lucasfilm please look at me and also give me money? And sign up? <laughs> yeah, well, I think it kind of, if, if I just kind of know about this from talking to people like Pete Filmer and Todd Chamberlain, but um, the history like of Star Trek galore and even our friends at Intergalactic in the 70s, which existed all the way back in the 70s, they sold a lot of Star Trek merchandise, and a lot of it was like not official, but Paramount never really pursued it. So it was just kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, you can kind of do this stuff and fly below the radar. But obviously Fox and Lucasfilm <laughs> took a more, you know, strict approach. So I think people like Neville probably figured, well, what the heck? People have been doing Star Trek stuff for years and never got in trouble. Uh, and but you know they weren't expecting, you know, that the 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 severe outcome from that. And, and that's yeah, that's the thing that Steve and I have been talking about. You know, really trying to develop more of this theory of the Star Trek Star Wars overlap that. The, the Star Trek mentality was so different than what the Star Wars mentality would be, like not just Paramount and Fox, but also fans and everything. But you know that, I mean, even Sansweet, right? Like everybody who was a huge Star Wars fan 
had also been a big Star Trek fan. You know, like that, that big division. It was just sort of like, oh, here's another thing that I'm going to love. And just, it, it is interesting how much it seems like it's kind of a bummer being a Star Wars fan compared to, it seems like Star Trek fans have a lot more fun. But. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So. I don't, you know, I don't know. Okay, so then, so we're, so we're talking about archive miniatures and they started two months after, and then this, how long did it take for the cease and desist to hit them? I don't think we know. I mean, like I said, I think I'm just speculating that it probably, by the time that article in the Dragon magazine hit in September of 77, I would guess that would have probably tipped it off. Yeah, it wasn't much after that that the modifications began to happen to the figures to try to get around it. So that makes right. sense. Yeah. Okay, so let, let's let's try to, like, have some kind of clear, like, uh, you know, stratification of error, you know, like Jurassic, Triassic, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, so, that, that, that was uh, a... <laughs> so, so we'll break it into chapters here. Yeah, yes, that was... so let's say there's there's the Archive chapter, there's the Star Rover chapter, and there's the Which Star is... Trek Galore chapter. Does that sound right? Are those the basic three three chapters in this, uh, or, or three volumes well, in this long tome, uh, Mr. <laughs> Cervantes? Uh, there's the pose the posters. That. That's the, yeah. The epilogue with the... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then, well, so this, also this... remember that both the Star Wars and the Star Rovers are archived, so I guess you'd want to call it Chapter 1 is the Star Wars archive figures, Chapter 2 is the Star Rovers archive figures, Yeah. and then Chapter 3 and 4 kind of mixed up are the Pose posters and the Star Trek galore sets. Yeah, okay. So so let's... I, it's, it sounds like we... Did, we it sounds really like these original Chapter One Star Trek, I mean Star Wars archive miniatures. Are those are those hard to find? Is it is it probable that most people don't have those and that they just have the the later versions? Do, do we know how common they are? Go for it, Yehuda. Oh sure. Um, yeah, those are the most uncommon. Those are the ones that'll be hardest to find. They were never packaged. Likely, they were likely again sold loose at conventions then probably ultimately through mail away once they were in dragon magazine um and you you really it's very you're very hard pressed to find it you're much more likely to think that you have one of them until you turn it upside down and realize it's not a signed neville stock and cheese that's usually the first way you can tell um and in particular the band and and peru and and tarkin would be harder than um any of the standard characters Okay, yeah. So those would be I, the hard So so if you're like me and you know I bought I bought my original Chewbacca from SW seller, you know, Orlea <laughs> in 2005, yeah. that probably is uh, not one of this chapter 1. We'll have to wait till till chapter 3 to find out. No, that and problem. you can tell you can on the check. Chewbacca that the 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 rifle is thicker and also if you turn it over it doesn't have the Neville Stockin signature on the base. Okay. Um, and that's also in addition to it, the details just aren't that crisp. So the the first, the early ones have nice crisp detail, um, and they're all specifically Star Wars, right? And then when Archive redid them as Star Rovers, they made a bunch of little changes, and a lot of them right. weren't were different. So, so um, yeah. So chapter one ends with the threat, the looming threat of of legal action 
chapter two begins star rovers that's where these these modifications whether they're whimsical or just (laughs) parody or just you know slight slight modifications that could be sanded off or clipped off to make them star wars again that's where that starts to happen yes yeah that was like 78 into 79 that they were doing that yeah so this is all an attempt to get around the copyright they just add little elements to each of them so did he just make new molds or did he just how how did he actually make them different yeah i mean he would have had to change the sculpts or whatever and and make new molds yeah yeah and some of the well i'm 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 sure they're different molds you know he probably made them off some of the ready-made figures because later later companies had his original molds and produced the original star wars figures again so right. if they were modified, they wouldn't be able to produce those same original figures. Mm. Right. But any, yeah. yeah, that's true. But any modification too. I mean, he, he changed. Yeah, he he didn't like make a bunch of regular Chewbacca's and then go physically add the you know the right. antenna and stuff. Like he made <laughs> they were new molds, right? That would have been crazy to do. Yeah. Right. Oh, new molds. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he probably made many more of the changed ones than the original. Anyway, the the molds would be cranking out. A, a greater multiple of the modified yeah. figures. So this is really fascinating because he he makes these changes and in some ways it's a, unbelievable that they worked because they're not quite different enough. I mean the Chewbacca still looks like Chewbacca, but at the same time it's completely bizarre <laughs> and doesn't look like Chewbacca at all because he has. I wouldn't. Well, I would, aren't those ears not antennas? He has ears, ears and antenna. Both, yeah. yeah. That's and that's Wooly, Wooly Sky, and that's yes. Wooly. <laughs> they all they all have different names. His name is Wooly. Yeah. I I, I do have yeah. a happy story. Hey Steve, are you ready to do a, a market watch game? <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Okay. I, I never am, but. <laughs> you Yehuda sent me an eBay link to uh, a Wooly figure, one of these intentionally altered, uh, unlicensed Star Wars Chapter Two. Uh, guess how much I paid? Oh God. Um, I don't know. Thirty dollars. <laughs> Have that, Steve. Fifteen bucks. Nice. Oh, that's that's refreshing to hear. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which, that's based cheap. on, yeah, cheap. I mean, I asked you who to how much I should spend. He said <laughs> I would bid a hundred. So I was like, I was getting ready. And yeah, oh, that was that's my top great. bid was a hundred. It, it's really hit or miss. If you have a couple of people looking for it, and there aren't very many people looking for them, you know, you, you could pay a lot more for it. There are. Um, that was only like the second or third I've seen on eBay in years. Wow. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, we are going to have the, the, the Yehuda effect with the Yuppies. So, you know, we're going to see. <laughs> First, the value is going to go up. And I don't know. I don't know if anybody's going to read the article, but, you know, we'll see. <laughs> Ron uh, wrote it, so it's going to be much more well-read than if... <laughs> I was just going to say the opposite, yeah. that there's a... <laughs> There's a negative Ron effect that's opposite of oh, you. God, no, no. We have we have your excellent writing, so that really helps. Well, but, I, but really, these are all just super charming. And if you haven't had a chance to look at all these, you just have to go to the archive and look at sort yes. of weird samurai Vader and stormtrooper yeah. with bunny ears and yeah, like Yehuda said earlier. I think you know we have to give you know, a lot of credit to, to Neville Stockin and his talent because, mm-hmm. you know, I guess you could argue some are better than others, but 
there's just a, a lot of personality in these little figures, um, and to get that amount of kind of quirkiness and whimsy and 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 fun into a little sculpture like that is no easy task. And like I, I love the Chewbacca, um, you know, I think the Bantha with the Tusken Raiders is great. The band is really great. Um, just really cool. There's a lot of personality in them, and it's just a real a feat to to do that. I think. I, I, yeah, I'd like to and, put forth a, a challenging praise for these figures. I think <laughs> these are the first Star Wars figures made for adults. Because, <laughs> because yeah, like, maybe. because the reason they didn't make Tarkin and the Cantina Band or whatever, like, the reason they didn't make a lot of these things is they just they didn't think that kids would care as much. Right. Yeah. You know what kid wants an Aunt Beru figure? But this kid sees Aunt Beru and is like. I got to make a Baru. I got to make, you know, so <laughs> I, I, I don't think these are for kids. They're at the very least, they're for well, yeah. teenagers who are playing AD&D. They're definitely right. not well, I'll give you, for children. Uh, yeah. I'll give you another level of it. You know, the true stewards of the hobby in some way are the gamers because they were the first ones to make figures and toys, not just for adults, but anything. And then after everything ended and Star Wars was gone from anywhere, the only thing that was available were the gamer pieces again, this time yeah. licensed by West End Games. Right. So it's always the gamers keeping the undercurrent of the hobby going. And now that I've spent a lot of time in the community as I've been doing the research on this piece, you know, they have a lot of appreciation for the sculpts of these pieces as well. And uh, so it's, I learned a lot from listening to them, too. Yeah, I guess I guess we, we need to praise role playing role. role, <laughs> role, role. I, my, my first. My first roommate at Celebration Three was uh, was Dean Clayton, and he still works for Warhammer. So I'm I'm, I'm cool with those guys. There you go. Yeah, uh, I mean, and yet the whimsy doesn't just stick with the skulls too. Though. I mean, the, the names of these. I mean, Wooly is great, but I I mean, Obi Wan is Star Knight of the Quasar. <laughs> the, the the band, the Cantina Band, is Moondog Mods Cantina Band, which has a great background story to to a locality. That, that was close to Neville. <laughs> yeah. yeah let's, um, let's 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 tell. I think, story. We, that, I think that's worth telling, don't you, Sky? Yes. I, I, yeah. So, so, Ron, so what did what did you discover a, about? Yeah. Why Maud. was the Cantina band uh, named uh, Maud? Well, I always thought that <laughs> when I first heard that the Star Rovers, so Star Rovers came after the original series, right? And they're the ones with the modifications to get around the legal stuff. And the band had little antenna, right? Um, so he re-released his band figures, but with antenna. Um, and he called them Moondog Mods Cantina Band, which I figured when I first heard it was a reference <laughs> to B. Arthur, because in the Star Wars Holiday Special, B. Arthur plays the proprietor of the cantina at which the band is playing in, in the show, if you remember the show. Um... And also, B. Arthur at the same time was on TV in a show called Mods, where she played Maud, yeah. right? So, or it wasn't called Mods; it was called Maud, and she played Maud. So I'm like, oh man, that is like some cross, you know, pop Deep culture dive, reference uh, there. Yeah. yeah um, so that's kind of what I thought. But there's a great blog called Dear Tony Blair, which there's a link in the article, so you should check it out. And he had some uh, quotes from Stockin, and he actually told. Them, I think back on old Yahoo group, 
Um, he told gamers who were interested in this stuff that the name came from a bar called Mods that was adjacent to his apartment in San Francisco, and it was a famous lesbian bar that was open from like the 60s until the late 80s. Um, it was, he, he described it as like a really tough, you know, biker lesbian bar, and he thought that was a cool thing or whatever, so he called it Moondog Mods. Uh, <laughs> so great. Which is so interesting, great. you know, it's yeah. a really great story. Well, it's, it's yeah. especially great because, you know, the reason I mentioned Heritage b being from Texas is not only do we have to remember the, the Star Trek and Star Wars, the Star Trekness of early Star Wars stuff, especially the unlicensed stuff, but we just have to remember the Californianess of Star Wars. Yes, the absolute, so, yeah, yeah. So, totally. like, and and just not just that, no offense, Steve, but the Bay Area-ness. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. Ber Berlin game is only, like, 45 minutes from San Francisco, I think. Yeah, it's, like, not, down, not that down. far. Yeah, Maybe it's in, like down in, by the airport, kind of. Right, yeah. and then kind of near where Tom Brady grew up, and it, and it's not that far <laughs> from where George Lucas you know, lived. It was not that far from Modesto. It's like an hour and a half from Modesto yeah. as well. Yeah. And so then to have you know San Francisco, which at the time was one of the few gay-friendly cities in the country, so having it named after that is just it's layer upon layer of California. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, you there can is see a, the a picture real... that um, that Ron included in the article for Mods, where there's also a VW Beetle parked right in front of it. Yes, is, like, yes. such such a great photo. <laughs> yeah, and and there is yeah, I think that's a good point, Sky. There is a real Northern California sort of counterculture adjacent quality to the figures mm -hmm. um, that I think is really fun, and it's total seventies, total. You know, Northern California kind of reminds me of the Jim Rump, Rump flight, mugs, right. although Rump, yeah, yeah. I think he's from Oregon, but still, it's kind of got this left coast kind of counterculture yeah. craftsman quality, like the handmade quality of it really comes through uh, in yeah. an interesting way. And it's sort of like the, the hippies got old, and then they were still watching Star Trek reruns, and that was still making them happy, and then Star Wars came out, and then they really connected with it, especially the bar scene, right? And then it all kind of like ties together. Yeah. 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 And I, I think even <laughs> on top of that, I think maybe the, the set that speaks just as much to it is the, the alien family, the, which is the... They, they took the two aliens, the the spy with the the big nose, and then the the kind of beehive looking alien, and then they had them have a child that's kind of a hybrid of the two. It's so yeah, so yeah. Great. Those those two figures were not even modified from the original Star right. Wars, Gulf yeah. Star Rovers line, and their only modification is their offspring. Yes, you know they have this little weird addition. <laughs> so so the Star yeah. Rover line is is really exciting it seems like it must be really difficult to track down because there could be so many different small changes is that right Yehuda? yeah and it's challenging but it's not impossible and it's actually a fun hunt and uh you, you can search for a long time and nothing will come up and then all of a sudden you'll either in some avenue find pieces but yeah it is difficult well it, it was it yeah it like Yehuda said it's I think the challenge of it has been taken away a little bit that now that we have that catalog and we put this article out there that you at least know what's out there. Like a few right. years ago, yeah. Yehuda and I were looking for it and had no idea like what what was out there. Like some Tuscan Raiders had horns and some didn't and it's just kind of like flying in the dark. But now I think we have a good grasp of what was released and, and what followed what. So it's like still hard to find, but at least you kind of know what's what what is what. Some, is some documentation, yeah. Yeah. Of, yeah. of the Star Rovers, and I mean the 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 image that you have here of this 
bizarre Lord of the Rings mashup with Star Wars. The Star Fellowship, yeah. The, the Star Fellowship and this sure, miniature man. Chewbacca. Like, Chewgumma. Chewgumma the Fuzzy. Chewgumma the Fuzzy. That feels like that is just a toy of Steve when he's pretending to be a Wicket. I mean, to be an Ewok. That just really feels like Chewgumma yeah. and uh, um, what was his name again, Steve? Swinga. Uh, Swinga. Yes, Chugama the Swinger. Yeah. Well, the weirdest part about that set is that it includes, uh, you know, I think one, two, three, four, five, seven figures, and the, they all kind of have Star Wars, Star Wars ish, except the Luke, which is called Leak Skyhibit, and basically just looks like Frodo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's, yeah. There's nothing Star Wars there. No. I mean, at first I was like, only because he has a lightsaber, but I was like, no, it actually looks like Sting from the, you know, the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little sword. I don't, I don't understand at all. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Okay. So then, all right. So as we're, I, I think we're, and again, like, if you think that we're talking a lot about this, wait till you read what Ron has written, because it's, it's more entertaining than this. I, I'm sorry, guys, but I think Ron's writing is more entertaining than this podcast. Um, but, <laughs> but you can, you know, you can drive while listening to us talk and you can't drive while, true. while reading. Yeah. And um, only probably five people actually will read the whole thing, which is fine. <laughs> yes. Definitely not bitter about that. Uh, so, so we're, Okay. We're closing chapter two, then the, the fellowship, so, uh, the so star the, fellowship. The star rovers <laughs> existed. For so yeah, star than, rovers. Then they was the modified features. set, and they came in, and they came packaged in those little bags. So you could buy those packaged in heat sealed bags. Um, and Yehuda and I have found most of them. Right, I think we're still looking for a few. So then, if if they all came on little bags are there variations of the bags are you going to drive yourself crazy there or were they all just made in burlingame there are uh, variations yeah i'm sure there's variants i mean some have different there numbers, are I, I mean you can get like 2096 and 2097 are two different bag numbers and they contain like the, the, the sand devil the tuscan raider one with a rifle with a gaffy stick and you can get combinations of both in one bag one in one bag one in another bag you can chase that stuff around, um, and we will, I'm sure. But you know, it's uh, but most of it's uniform. There are just a couple of them like that. And okay, so then, just as an example, if I oh, let's pick some random figure, Chewbacca, if I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to get a complete archive, Herod, you know, just the archive stuff. We're not getting to chapter three here yet. I would okay. have to find right. the unpainted original a uh, little bit finer mold with the thinner rifle chewbacca miniature made by stockin in 77 there's right. no and then there wouldn't be any version that you would need three figures you need three figures you need uh the, the initial chewbacca that wasn't modified the one with the ears and the antenna and then the chewgama i think would be a full <laughs> archive right yes. I, I would need wow. them on cards as well and there's how many different kinds of cards? Oh. Well, well, there's only there's, there's only really, I don't know, if, there's only really one. I, I haven't really checked to see if the address changes or whatever. But if you were trying to get a bagged one, you would just need the the one with the ears, and it comes single in a bag with a little card. Yeah. And then the Chugama comes in the Star Fellowship set, which is a bigger set. But yeah. Okay. So. But then you can go to the 
to the Star Trek galore and get the four of those plus the gold and the silver keychain okay, and but, the painted but, neck. But Yehuda, we're, we're, we're holding off on Star Trek galore. We're waiting to open Not up that next pause volume. Pause is jumping forward here. <laughs> oh, you never keep them on task. So, so how exactly do you make a coin sculpt, Yehuda? Um, <laughs> you start with, with a big pile of wax. Or something. I don't know. You get the obverse of the inverse, which is, of course, concave and convex. At which point, <laughs> uh, that, that's for some of our older fans. Okay, so then, Star Rovers stops, or is Star? Okay, so Star Trek Galore eventually starts making the figures, and most likely, if you have any of these figures, they're made by Star Trek Galore. What is the what is the the cusp? What is the intersection between Star Trek Galore and Star Rovers? Is there overlap? Well, I think... Well, Yehuda and I were talking about this the other day, and I think it's a good chance that... I mentioned this in the article, that Pose Posters actually made their set first, um, and that was similar to Star Trek Galore, but I think they did it before or as Star Rovers were just getting started, so that they're copies were made of the original stock in figures so the ones without the the bizarre modification so and that was in 78 so it was not that long after stock and made those original figures um and so basically someone bought a range of the stock and figures not all of them but a range of them made new molds and then started making lower quality reproductions and selling them through mail order catalogs that's kind of what happened and it was in 78 Wow, so then they were being sold concurrently. So, uh, first of all, the reason why I don't say Neville correctly is because he spells his own first name wrong. There's only one <laughs> L in Neville. That's not my fault. Well, and his last name is... footnotes, you'd see that there was a guy with the precise name with the same spelling in the 30s who wrote a very well-known book on stamps. So it must be <laughs> yes. a legit name. I, I did read that wrong, but I don't want to get lost in the weeds more than we are. So, so um, Norbit. That's actually one of my favorite parts of the article. I'm, 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 I'm sad you put it as a footnote. It was initially the text. So, <laughs> so Norbit Stockingfoot. Well, okay. So, so Stockin, like, was afraid of getting sued. So he just makes the weirdness, and then at the exact same time, you want to talk about geographical stereotypes, Steve? Who's <laughs> going to be the outlaws? Who's just going to say, "I don't care what. Let's just." Let's just, they're, they, they're about to get sued for making these things, so we'll steal from them, and then we'll make them. Because what are they going to do? Sue us for making what they were about to get sued for? It's a perfect crime. If there's, a, there's a second layer that they, yeah, that left <laughs> separation. Yeah. You can't sue us. It's not our fault that someone else stole it. I robbed the thieves. Okay, so Plus, their, their versions are so crappy, they don't even look like Star Wars characters anymore, so I don't even know if it matters. Right. <laughs> okay, so we're we're not in we are not in California anymore, Steve. We are of course in Florida. The 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 world of well, the, the Florida. Post man. posters well, I think post posters probably made their set first. Okay. And they were yeah. in LA. They were in LA. Yeah. Focusing okay. on, on, on Elvis memorabilia mainly, right? <laughs> okay, so 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 you really want to put post posters now, Ron, but I wanna save post posters to later. So what what's right. what's the argument for doing post posters now? Because you asked, you asked for the timeline, and I think they probably made their set first. <laughs> okay, because that's the proper way to do it. Fine, fine. I see how this <laughs> is. You're all gonna hang up on me. 
Okay. Well, hey, that's also very. That's that's. We can do common. the other one first, but that's not what you asked. You yes. Asked no. What fine. Happened. Let's do let's do post posters. That way, people will have a different a different way of uh, of interacting with this information in the article than they do uh, on the podcast. So it is also very LA to just steal something from from Northern California and then try and make it your own, right, Steve? <laughs> Uh, it's probably a fair thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then, a, uh, yeah. a pose poster. So, what what is this? What is this group of people? Who are these people? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't think we know. Um, but there was a there was a company that uh, made bootleg stuff, or they sold licensed stuff too. But it was a lot of music memorabilia, especially Elvis stuff. So, and they made um, twelve. The copies of 12 original Stockton figures, so not the Star Rovers ones, and they sold them uh, in pewter through this mail order thing. And and the the Stockton ones were made out of what material? Lead, I'm pretty sure. Yikes! Okay. Or some alloy, but <laughs> Dude, don't, don't don't let Eleanor play with those, Steve. No, no. <laughs> okay, so then Pose Posters just straight up copied them and then sold them. Yeah. And they're bad copies, and it was 12 of those figures. So, yeah, basically, we just bought some of them, and they, someone made copies, and they sold them. And it was right around the same time that Archive was shutting down. So, yeah, you're right that there's an irony about this other company selling these illicit figures while, the, while Archive was shutting down their Star Wars stuff and, and transitioning to Star Rovers. Yeah. I, I do also like that they misspell many things, but it's not because they're trying to get around copyrights because they don't know how to spell them. So it's Banta and Tuscan Raiders, but like with a C, like like uh, that Diane yeah. Weist movie, Under a Tuscan Sun. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> it's Diane Weist, right? Yeah, I think so. They spelled Darth Vader correctly, but they just cannot get Banta. And the Chewbacca is oddly thin. Am I am I wrong that it's a different looking? It looks slight, like they all look slightly more. I don't know, smooth. Uh, I don't know, Yehuda. I, I think it's about the same. No, I don't think so. It might just be the way it's illustrated. When you look at them in hand, actually, you know, I, I'm not as much of a hater on the blue set in terms of loss of detail. You do lose the, some on the Kenobi, but the Chewbacca still is pretty sharp. Um, it's when you get down to the Star Trek lore that the detail really disappears. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's, it's almost identical with some slight loss in detail, particularly in the face and the fur, and, of course, not signed on the bottom. Metal is, is, is similar, maybe a little bit darker, a little shinier, but, again, that changes with age amongst a lot of the figures. So sometimes that's not a good way to tell. Yeah, and this, I mean, the, so they all came in this blue box that you, you had to buy them as a set? No, you could have bought them either way. Okay. You could have ordered them individually. You found ads and posed posters for buying them individually or buying them as a set. The set does not actually state in the ad that we've found so far that it came with the blue box. It's really these are those figures because of uh, the complement of the figures and how they're pictured. But uh, likely if you ordered the whole set, it came in this blue plastic box, which was likely, as Ron pointed out, um, a repurposed drill bit box or something like that with a foam interior and then an added Star Wars sticker, which oddly has a, a, a trademark logo on the bottom of it, like a yeah. licensed product. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, and they sold for $69. 
That's that's pretty crazy. All twelve of them for sixteen. Yeah, much yeah. more than the original archive figures that were being made by Stockton. So yeah, there you how go. much did those sell for a piece? They varied, you know, between uh, some of them under a buck, and uh, but I think between a buck and three bucks is typical. That's yeah. the, the pewter pewter premium. Pewter premium, indeed. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have a record of what the actual original stocking ones sold for. Um, fortunately, the Dragon magazine doesn't stickers. have. Some of the I'm talking about the original ones. Price stickers. Yeah, but oh, I'm yeah, talking about the original ones. I mean, I don't. Yeah. The, the Dragon magazine doesn't have prices on it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it wasn't 69 bucks for 12. No. Um, I'm assuming they were the same price as the ones he was selling later, or you know, or comparable. Um, that's my assumption. But the ones that he was selling when they were Star Rovers had like these grocery white little stickers that came from those sticker guns. And some of them say 99 cents or something like that. And say so you were in selling for a fortune, really, if those are accurate price stickers. And I've seen those stickers on bags from multiple sources from different places. So I do believe that they're originally put on by stocking. Okay, so I'm, 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 I'm trying to, like, figure this all out here because... We are too. There's well, it's just we have the super California stuff. We have the Star Trek, Star Wars stuff, and then now you're kind of blowing my mind here because I just realized something that I never realized before. So Ron writes a little bit about Elvis crap and how much it was everywhere in in the '70s, and then he goes off on sort of an existentialist rant, which I appreciate, but I don't want to get into now. Uh, but you know, Elvis died in 1977. Right, and and if you're like me and you were born in '77, you'd think that a little bit of his spirit passed into you. Um, but you know, like, so really, <laughs> there is. Uh, and, this is this is all becoming so clear now. Yes. Well, I mean, <laughs> so Elvis died uh, August 16th, and I was born September 13th. So you do the oh, math, Steve. Pro- you do the, the math. His soul flew yeah. up from Memphis, and anyways, uh, but. But it's what's wild is that like you know Elvis's death was a huge thing, right? And there was all this merchandise, so it it's odd that there isn't more Star Wars Elvis crossover because that was the time when everybody you just slapped a picture of Elvis on anything because the whole nation was in mourning. And then I look at the ads here, and in addition to having belt buckles, which is a whole nother thing, which I'm sure Ron is working on a 700-page book about as well. But there's a, a different advertisement that includes all these references to Close Encounters. So there's a, a mm-hmm. Devil's Tower uh, bumper sticker and a Have You Had an Encounter Lately? So that helps us to place these things in later 77 because Close Encounters didn't come yeah. out until August 14th, 1977, which means that no, in I'm the span sure of two days, okay, within the span of two days, now, you got Close Encounters and lost Elvis. I'm just saying. And then a month later, <laughs> I arrived. Didn't Bing Crosby oh, die no. around the same time? Oh, I maybe like Bing Crosby's spirit passed into you. Because uh, when I look at these magazines, I'm always looking for like crossovers to find articles from that time. I'll always do searches with Elvis and Bing Crosby and Star Wars and Beatles. And sometimes you get these wacky catalogs that would sell all this junk together. But, you know, the more I think about it, I, you know, um, you know, I think it's common to see that combination of Elvis and, and Star Wars in a lot of the magazines from that time because those, those were just two big happenings, his death and the, and the premiere of the movie. 
Well, I think that'd be an interesting side focus to have all the all the Elvis all the times where Elvis and Star Wars was in the same place in 1977. All right, well, you guys wanted to go to post posters, so you should have known you were going to get that with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean there is quite a bit of Elvis crossover. In, if you look at the post posters um, inventory and the whole catalog, it's all Beatles and Elvis stuff for the most part. That's the biggest stuff. So it's mostly music stuff, and yeah, because he had died. Um, the previous year, um, there was a lot of just mementos of Elvis. And j- just as a side note, have any of you guys ever been in a house where somebody has dedicated every single space to Elvis? Yeah. It, um, it, it's... I've been in houses that have Elvis stuff. It was years yeah. ago. Like I haven't seen it in, in a long time. Not not every single space. But... It is really weird. I mean, I know Star Wars stuff is weird, but it's just like, I mean, he's just like a guy. You know, <laughs> no, there like, were people. I don't know if 50. people listening to this are younger and don't realize it, but there, like I mentioned in the article, there were people in like the seventies and eighties who just like they collect Elvis the way you know Duncan Jenkins collects Star Wars. I mean, it, or you know, just has like busts and paintings and well, all well, sorts of stuff. Well, people do that with the Beatles and with a lot of other things. Just Elvis seems to have not continued on in in terms of collectability. But, but yeah, I mean, Elvis was his own that. thing, man. There was just like, yeah, yeah. there was like a yeah. whole like joke you could make in 1985, like people having Elvis stuff, and that's just kind of I don't know if there's people out there like that who really have stuff like that anymore. And just while we're on another side tangent, I know we're trying not to get too large in Steve, but the other <laughs> thing is like I'm gonna sound like Jerry Seinfeld. What's the deal with I Love Lucy? When is the when was the last human being who cared about I Love Lucy died? Like I think like two thousand and four, the last I Love Lucy fan died. Yet every time you go to like any flea market or antique or anything, there is I Love Lucy as far as you can look. Am I wrong about that? Have you ever known anybody who loves I Love Lucy? Yeah, Lucille Ball was another one. Yeah, another big celebrity that people really collected stuff from. But yeah, it seems. I, I seems still like think part of the past bigger now. Are than, than Elvis. I mean, they just made a movie about her, and and she still has relevance. People do still collect her, not to the extent that they ever did when she was popular culture, because that generation has passed. But Star Wars has the unique thing that it passes from generation to generation, so it keeps reinventing yeah. itself. Whereas a lot of things don't, like The Wizard of Oz, or like Elvis. But Beatles keep go keep going. So it's different for each franchise. It's not. It's not always the same thing. Okay, well, we've we've delayed enough, Steve. Now, <laughs> now, do we get to talk about Star Trek Galore? Should we should we open Chapter Three in in Florida? <laughs> Is Star Trek Galore kind of a play on the on the James Bond villain Pussy Galore? I don't know. Uh, they don't mean, know. They and, just and also to imply that they had a lot of Star Trek. Also, another question for you, Ron. Uh, in here, you talk about the Cantina band, uh, and then and then you mention that they just ooze personality. Are you making a joke on the fact that the style of music that they play is called jizz? No, I had no idea it was called okay. jizz. Is yes. that true? Yes, yes, yes. They're called jizz whalers. That if you look it up on Wikipedia, the Cantina band. <laughs> I'm not joking. It's spelled J I Z Z. No, no, no. It's Sky is not is not joking. It's not I, jazz. I, I, it's I do jazz. love that. 
that, that we were the ones to break that to you, Ron. I, I feel special. Yeah, it's, now that you mentioned Jizz Willers, it seems like I've heard it, but no, I, 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 that's not something I remembered. Okay, because <laughs> you, were, you were writing really nicely all about the canteen, and you go, they just ooze personality. I was like, those Jizz Willers just ooze personality. Okay, good. I've asked the important questions Plus, here. Plus, that's just garbage. Like, I don't believe that. Who made that up? Some West End Games guy in, like, 1991? Well, we're, we're talking about <laughs> the like role-playing game, Ron. And... We now have to love role-playing games. That's, some yeah. some dorko made that up. But nobody who just watches the movie knows that they're called the Jizz Whalers. Give me a break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Roy Donk. All right. <laughs> okay, so... All right, so at the same time... so. Poor Neil Stockin ends up making these figures and then he gets sued and so he starts making these wonky fake figures. Someone in LA steals his mold and bootlegs him and then somebody in Florida steals his mold and bootlegs him on a scale that dwarfs his original output. We it now finally get... that way, yeah. So, um, yeah. It seems like the Star Trek The Lore set was probably copied off of the pose set, but then they dropped the bantha because the, they dropped the bantha without the saddle because the pose set has two banthas, um, and then they added several figures that were missing from the pose set. That's what it seems like. Um, and you know, Yehuda was playing around with his figures the other day. He likes to do that, and he found <laughs> he. It seemed to him when he was examining them that the the po the Star Trek lore set has similarities in terms of how the weapons are positioned to this to the post set and it looks like it's a little bit lesser quality so it seems like they may have been molded off the pose set um yeah the gaffy sticks on the tuscan raiders have rotational deformity on the blue set that is also found on the star trek alors it's the same dents and errors and when you see stuff like that you know they're from the same lineage and uh, yeah. the, the question is, did they come from the same creator or, or using the same molds or from or did, different yeah, people either they're the same, related? Yeah, either the same person was responsible and they just made new molds or something for the Star Trek Allure ones, or someone in Florida bought a pose set and then was like, oh, and then they made their own molds and then they popped out another set and they added extra figures to it. Um, and because of, of the better two. quality of the, of the pose set, I, I, I really think the Star Trek Allure set is just another bootlegger who got a post set and just went with that. Archive sets were not as easy to find as post sets at that point, I'm sure. So it's or, a copy you know, of kid. a it's a copy of a copy. It's oh, a real multiplicity I want pizza thing. That that's where we are here. This is a <laughs> third like, generation. Like, like Polish bootlegs have generations, you know? <laughs> like Polish bootlegs have generations first, second, third. This is similar to that. You know, these are American bootlegs. And they just have a different generation as they're put through different molds. But yeah, it seems that, that's the theory anyway, that the Star Trek Galore set came last. That it came last. Although it was, would have been right at the yeah. same time. It would have, we were talking about like, you know, not years difference. It had been like, okay, one was done in early 78 and one in mid 78. Like, it yeah. been, like there was a big gap. Yeah, all well, this is happening in one year, all three of them. So, you know, this is all happening very quickly. Yeah. I guess they thought they'd fly under the radar, to, you know, and, and be able to get enough out there to make a profit before they get in trouble legally. Like, sort of like Cloud City. So they, they made them, but they did things that were different, right? So they, they, they cast them in uh, gold-plated, and they also painted them. So, what, what, like, 
Yeah, you could buy them in several different finishes, right? You could get painted, nickel plated, gold plated, or just regular, like unpainted. Um, but the big difference is that they added several figures, right? So they added four figures. So they just they made them themselves. They actually did the work and sculpted them. Yeah, and I think that's why we think that they were copied off the pose set because whoever made them did not have access to Stockin's original Han Solo. Stormtrooper or R2-D2, and none of those figures were present in the pose set, right? So uh-huh. Stockin made Han Solo, R2, and Stormtrooper, but they did not get carried over to the pose set, and they did not get carried over to the Star Trek Galore set. So someone in Star Trek Galore looked at it and said, well, this set's missing main characters, and so they went and they made their own figures. So um, it's actually Han, R2, C-3PO, and Stormtrooper. And and 3PO wasn't in the original, original archive line either, right? Not there wasn't as far a... as we know, yeah. Okay, yeah. Wow. So, so, so they that... sculpted their own, and they look really bad. Like, just, they don't look like someone who was talented made them. <laughs> they look really bad. <laughs> no, they don't. But, crucially, we have... Sky here... <clears throat> I just took us on a tangent, which I promise you was really interesting, but also it was uh, controversial. <laughs> so I'm just going to skip this part. Uh, if you see me at Celebration, come talk to me and I'll tell you what I was talking about because it's pretty interesting. But uh, as you can hear, Ron suggests I should probably have just taken it out. And I don't know if you want to necessarily mm-hmm. keep this in there because they may, that may upset somebody. Oh. If you're talking about legal stuff, and I don't know if they want you talking about that, Sky, if they're going to harass you about it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? You're right, because actually I got I got it wrong anyways. Cause... In all seriousness, Vilmer and Todd insist that... Redacted. But I don't know if it's true or not, and you probably don't want to talk about legal crap right. on there. On your... Okay. All right. In, in that case, I'll have to... One second. Steve. Yeah. There's a whole bit I just cut out right there. Yeah, yeah. Because there there may or may not be some interesting overlap between the people who made these toys and a toy dealer, but I'm not going to name names or say anybody. I'm just going to keep it vague enough to say just look around in Florida. That's it. Go down the swamps and the Okefenokee and just – Poke around and, and, and do some math on your own, but I'm not accusing nobody of doing nothing, Steve, are you? No, 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 no. <laughs> but to address the original question, like Star Trek Galore, a company sold them. Like, did they make them or did they just sell them? Like, did someone make them for them? Like, I, I don't think they know, right? right. But I like did. the, yeah, the, the some guy, the some guy theory <laughs> seems to. Yes. But it's it's wild. It could be because... the same guy who made the post set, right? There could have been right, some guy right. in Colorado making these and selling them to different outfits. Right. I mean, it's hard to really know. But how yeah. could the painting only cost an extra oh. fifty cents per figure? That seems like that would really raise. I'm the... gonna lose my phone here. Hello. Hey, there you are. Sorry. No, no worries. No worries. Okay, so they, so we're we're here, and then some of them are gold plated, and some of them are painted. Which I think makes them special. I do think makes that does add value. Um, now, didn't people paint the the archive ones anyways, like just on their own? Well, they were meant for Yehuda. 
Yeah, they were meant to be painted. You know, these were gaming pieces and, you know, styled and changed in any way you want to fit what characters you were developing. Um, but these were painted by Star Trek Galore. And interestingly, you know, you'd think that there'd be a lot of variation in the painting, but they seem to be pretty uh, regular from set to set that you see and relatively consistent. Um, and I wonder who was doing it. I don't know. I can't imagine it was a big team of people. So, uh, and right. simply because it was done so consistently. Yeah, they are. Not, I mean, this kind of a junky product in terms of mold quality, but the painted ones are actually, like Yehuda says, they're pretty nicely done in a lot of ways. And, yeah, I mean, like Yehuda says, the original gaming miniatures, they were, yeah, kind of made to be decorated by the purchaser. And I included some hobbyist painted ones in my article. So the ones you see, the early ones you see that are painted were ones I got from people who painted them up probably years ago. Yeah, it's it, it's it's really cool that I mean I think that I think Star Trek Galore. What I love is that all of them bring something to the table. Like they all do something different. There's like the original, yeah. and then there's the weird copies, and then there's the box, and yeah. Well, I, they Star Trek Galore made made the jewelry and the keychain versions too. So they're they're uh, yeah, <laughs> they're they're broadening the 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 line yeah. here a little bit Star Trek Galore really went to town yeah because like Steve said they did necklaces with the figures keychains it's just kind of like <laughs> it's just a lot I mean somebody was putting in a lot of work making all these things and churning them out to fill these orders so it, it's a pretty interesting you know line to look at especially years later well, and I then, think it's yeah, funny that they that they picked the stormtroopers one of the figures to to make into jewelry because that's one of the really ugly figures yeah, there's a few figures that they chose for jewelry are stock and sculpts, and then they have this derpy stormtrooper who's half melted, yeah. and they turned him into a painted necklace and the keychains. And I'm like, that's ridiculous. You know, that's like a throw-in. So yeah, it's a really bad stormtrooper. Like, the stormtrooper looks like when they depict like the effects of LSD in cartoons, and yes. people's faces go, whoa. Yeah, they... that's what it looks like. <laughs> Yeah, his that, feet are melting because the the base is white and his face is drooping. And, yeah, he's that's... he's not doing so well. <laughs> and definitely, Ron, Ron, I, I like Ron that you're very much in praise of stock and you're 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 really showing off his artistry primarily by comparing it to the lack of artistry by Star Trek Galore. Uh, but but hey, I'm I'm just thankful that Star Trek Galore was able to make so many of these because it means that there's different versions for me to track down because I, I actually I, I don't have any of the gold or any of the any of the the necklaces or so yeah this is it can be tough I don't know how many Yehuda anybody has any of the necklaces <laughs> I have I not seen, seen any many of the yeah I've not seen many necklaces or keychains for sure I mean the painted ones you do you do see the oh yeah I've never seen those and uh, yeah. and, and, the, and the R2 and the Joel but you don't see the painted necklaces, I've never seen an example. And also even some of the regular standard gold-plated figures, I've never seen an example of. So yeah, I, I, I'm, they, they are probably out there. They were advertised and all that. But, uh, yeah, those seem to be tough. And and you you highlight that there may be as many as 92 items in the Star Trek Galore set. So I assume, Yehuda, do you have the most complete collection of anyone out there? Oh, I don't know that. Um, I have about uh, 60 or 70, somewhere between that. 
Okay. Uh, I guess. And, you know, and the 92 includes all the jewelry pieces and stuff. What I'm really lacking is like the gold figures and a few of the jewelry pieces because uh, those and a lot of them still haven't had a known example to exist or have survived yet. Likely survive is a big question. I, I bet they all existed. Okay, so there's, there's 92 of those, which is cool because that's like the original Star Wars line. And then yeah, there's, yeah, I mean that, there, there's 12 yeah. of the of the pose, the pose. Yeah, which Luke is cool because that's like the original 12. And so, how many total pieces are there in the the, the stock in line? Well, there's 27 in the original Star Wars line. Then there's, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, 36 or 37 in um, 37, I believe, in the Star Rovers line. Yeah, but I there's have also 37. four figure overlaps there that were the same. So really, like 33 unique Star Rover figures. So 33 plus 27 gives a nice round number of six. I had, I had 37 unique in the Star Rovers is what I had. Oh, you did? I counted. Did I include yeah. the Alien and uh, the Spy and Greedo and... Uh, yeah. The second. Oh, okay. So Wait, but I had them counted only one. Gotcha. But you haven't counted in Star Wars and Star Rovers? Because if you're adding them to unique oh, figures... Oh, well, one yeah. Thing, if you're not, that's true. It's going to be an overlap. <laughs> This is what's been going on the last several months yes. leading up to this. Several this years. Yeah. It's, been like, it's been like 10 years we've been doing They've been riding yeah, on their sorry. donkeys across across <laughs> Andalusia. And just, uh... Yeah, no, you're right. Like, there's some that you'd, I think you'd have a hard time knowing if it was a 77 Stockton or a 78 Star Rovers because there were no changes to the figures. For, so, for some true. of them, yeah. Yeah. So he, here's is there a, a different dating on the bottom? I think it's the same dating, too. I've seen ones that say 77 and 78, but I. Yeah, I haven't really done a scientific survey, so I don't. Yeah. I can't say for sure. So here's a question: so What is the fine, most you have, you've ever spent on any of these items? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I bought a whole set at a time. So if you count that, like a Star Trek lore set of seventeen, sometimes I'll spend like three hundred bucks on all seventeen figures, um, or a, like a nice bag, the uh, archive miniature figure. Typically, it's going to be around 40 or 50 bucks. Sometimes you'll get lucky, it'll be 20 or 30. Um, they really should be a lot more, I think, because of their rarity and their scarcity and their coolness. Yeah. But I, well, I sold a, that recognized. I sold a bag Jawa set for like over 300 on Deal or No Deal a couple of years oh, wow. ago. Um, wow. And then another one for, for the same guy, Jason West. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, they should be more because they're rare. But there hasn't been people looking for them. So the most I've spent is probably around a hundred bucks on a single figure um, or a single bag set. Uh, but I've seen them sell for for more. Uh, like you who just said, a full set of the Star Trek galore figures, which comes up once and again, you know, every year or so, three hundred or so. I've seen the blue box, which is the pose poster set, sell for anywhere between like three and five hundred. Uh, when those come up, but there's probably only ten or, or fewer of those blue boxes around. Wow, uh, it was crazy! What you know, how relatively inexpensive they are for such a very early interesting piece. Um, yeah, it's always been even before the article. Like to me, they undervalued a lot of this stuff because it's early, interesting yeah. stuff, and good ones don't come up that often. But you know, the market is is hard to predict, so. I, I do think there's a a general reluctance to love this early stuff. 
And I know that sounds weird, but I mean like like Rump and Heritage, these two I mean not Heritage, Jesus Christ, I wasn't even trying to piss you off. Rump and Archive like are so funkadunk California that like yeah. That they just don't have true. that Star Wars sheen to them. They don't have the double racetrack and the black. I think and the, the rump cool. mugs are underrated. You know, yeah. I bought a set. Yes. I didn't have a box set. I bought a set of the three, like box with the tags, like a hundred bucks a piece. And that was yeah. two years ago. I'm like, yeah. this is cheap. Like these should be several hundred dollars a piece. Uh, but yeah, you know, people. And they are a beautiful license piece too. They're they're terribly undervalued. Sigma pieces go for much more than rump, which is always weird to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. I, people, I think there's a bias. I mean, there really weird. is a bias against this 77. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like Star Wars collectors are, are really getting interested in Star Wars collectibles starting in 78. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, I know Pete Vilmer has been focusing for years since I've known him, which is decades, has always been looking for early... 70s stuff, like unlicensed or licensed, just oddball stuff, and you'd think that more people would be into it, but you know, it's hard to tell what people are going to collect. It hasn't come into its own yet. It probably just needs more time, and it'll probably come around. Well, certainly certainly with an an article like this. I would say, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I really, really appreciate your guys' uh, work on this. I mean, really, it it's a true service, and and you started off the whole article, Ron, by basically apologizing for having everyone call them heritage, um, which of course <laughs> everything you said in 1994 is logged forever, and anything you've said since 2000 will be uh, will be impossible to convince people. Uh, but still, pretty much, yeah, you, we're, we're gonna we're gonna try. We're yeah. gonna try. <laughs> we're, Hopefully, we're, though, yeah. uh, you know. People enjoy. I just try to make these things fun to read for those who take the time. So, hopefully, they had as much fun reading it as Yehuda and I have had, you know, trying to piece out all of this information over the years. Yes, and it's worth reading. I'm I'm going to give you a little Easter egg, everybody. Uh, Find the way that Ron describes uh, the ugly Han Solo sculpt. It is some of his funniest. It's not as funny (laughs) as Space Force Thomas Jefferson. But no, it, it is uh, very good. So I, I good. highly suggest you you track that down. <laughs> yeah, well, at least I know you read it. There's proof that you actually read it this time. <laughs> yes. It. Oh, it's it's my new policy, Ron. I, I now read all of them before I start talking about them. Okay. Uh, well, this one was super long, but it kind of it kind of needed to be. Like it was just a long time gestating, and Hugh uh, and I have talked about it for a while, and. Like I said, I found those newspaper references to our friend Neville, and I was like, man, it has to get done, and Yehuda kept bugging me about it. So finally put our heads together and cranked it out. And I'm um, telling you, Ron, you put this in, a, you put this in like, a, like a 20-page book and sell it for five bucks? I'd, I'd buy yeah, 10 maybe. copies. Take the world we by don't storm. Make money. <laughs> That's true. I was thinking, <laughs> but Ron needs a Patreon. Like we need to find a way just to just to send Ron money to thank him. Like that's, uh, that's yeah. yeah we'll see. But um, wait, did you know, you know Ron that Steve kind of supports a... me on Patreon? Do you understand how obscene that is? <laughs> Steve sends me money every month for Patreon, so I would yeah, send that, you money. That actually makes me want to physically barf right now. But um, <laughs> I knew um, it would. <laughs> but um. It, it also, I think, just the articles, like kind of the virtue, it, not just from writing about stuff, but also just collecting and just 
the virtue of patience because like you and I could have tried to put something down about this five years ago, but it wouldn't have been as good because we didn't have information. So like the longer you wait and put together all your resources and start to figure out what actually happened, you know, the better your results will be, even if it's just from a collecting perspective. Uh, Cause collecting is, you know, it's a lot about knowledge, right? I mean, just being a good collector is knowing your stuff. Um, and it, it certainly took us a long time to really to, to know all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a really cool journey, too. And, and you know, we're still learning more stuff, which is wild. It, we didn't actually say, well, we're done now. It's time to write it. We said, okay, enough. You know, I think we have to at some point write it because <laughs> there's enough of a mass here. Yeah. So we've we've made we got, discoveries even this week and last. So. Yeah, I think we got most of it, you know, as far as the Neville Stockin story goes. It's pretty good. Um but yeah, there's always who knows. There'll, there'll be more stuff. You know, I, I do think it was pretty comprehensive on on Neville's story, and we're just finding these other companies like Dragon Miniatures, McEwen Miniatures, and even really Heritage that did make some Star Wars figures in that same seventy-seven, seventy-eight time frame or seventy-nine. So there's a lot more undiscovered with the miniature world, and uh, so it's a little bit more to look at. Yeah. That should, that's true, and, and maybe uh, Yehuda will have to tackle an article on that other stuff. But, you know, this this article, I guess we should say, was specifically about Neville Stockin's figures and the later iterations that were copied. Uh, like Yehuda mentions, gaming miniatures, there's more work to be done in that field. Um, other companies, you know, other sculptors. Uh, so there are other things out there, but, um, you know, that's for another day, I guess you know, other, other veins of research. Yeah. Well, here's to, to Neville and his, and his crazy chops. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never forget He's... you, Norton. 